This podcast is hosted by R Double P. The following episode contains coarse language, violent themes, sexual references, and the really creepy stuff. If you're underage, turn off your device. Normal people, Esther, don't just go straight to demonic infestation like we do. Because the government was also freaked out about babies. They might be dealing with a demonic possession. Meanwhile, as she's on top of him squeezing his throat, she's screaming, who sent him here? And they started to move towards her really fast. What are these? Australian aliens. And welcome back. Yep. Get your... (laughs) (laughs) I'm just checking. I don't want to get... In trouble. Chris wants us to be a certain um, distance away from the microphone this week, so we're, like, not moving. (laughs) Uh, It's Gemma. Welcome back. Uh, I've got a very special guest here today filling in for Miss Esther. You've heard of her before, and she's wonderful. It's Miss Sky Medusa. Hello. Thanks for having me back. No, thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. Can you do the intro the way me and Esther do it? Okay, you go. Welcome back to, I think, my coffin is haunted (laughs) i see what you did there yeah you know i I don't want to step on esther's toes so you know she'll appreciate that yeah (laughs) (laughs) for those that aren't familiar with sky's work uh she is the high priestess of the undead you can catch her on instagram is it the vampy show or sky medusa or both um yeah both uh so my personal page is sky medusa that i have a lot more um, fans and followers on that one, so yeah, I'm a little bit more active. But there's also a Vampy Show, the Vampy Show Instagram yeah. as well. So that's your YouTube channel, isn't it? The Vampy yeah, Show, the Vampy Show, V I M P I. Yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're interested in kind of like you're kind of like a um, vampire goth pinup goddess. I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how's your week been? Yeah, just, you know, doing my vampire things, organising stuff. You probably wouldn't know, but the weather in Melbourne's been pretty crazy, but, you know, night time's usually all... Yeah, thanks for fitting me in after dark. (laughs) Much appreciated. Yeah, so um, what was I going to tell you? Have you heard about this? Woman with stab wounds found in boot of car at Barima after waving for help through the car's broken taillight. That sounds like a horror movie that I've seen, and that's terrifying if that's real. So check it out. Two women have been charged with several offences after a woman with multiple stab wounds was found in the boot of a car. The 24-year-old woman was stabbed in her knee, thigh, and forearm, and a truck driver spotted her waving through a broken taillight, and two women are being questioned by detectives. It's that classic thing, isn't it? If you're being put in the boot of a car, kick out the taillight. That's what they always say. Is, is it possible this chick is a true crime aficionado knows what she's doing yeah sounds like it i would say so good on her that's a good tip for everyone listening as well yeah 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 and i just kind of i always think like oh maybe that's just a thing with like 90s cars you know that you can just kick out the headlight i don't know i've never been in the boot of a car and i don't know if it's something like i've got a honda where like you know the boot is like not enclosed like you just you can go over the back seat into the boot so it's like Hello. Just wait out the back window. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think this chick actually knows what she's doing, and they always say, "Don't let them take you to the second location 
do whatever you can. Yeah. That's what Oprah used to say. I wonder if that's like Why? Because they're going to kill you there. They're not going to give you ice cream, Chris. <laughs> I think you've been working on this yeah. on this show for long enough now. You know better. <laughs> Don't trust anyone. Especially if they put you in the boot of a car. That's like red flags. <laughs> Do you ever watch IT Crowd? No. And Moss says he doesn't open his front door and, and Jen says, why? And he goes, and she goes, it might be good news. And he goes, it's not going to be cake, Jen, unless that cake's made of dog poo and knives. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do a fact from the freezer? Facts from the freezer. Facts from the freezer. Yeah. All right. I've got one. Oh, really? Okay. Is it in your head? Yeah, it is. I don't see any paper. I don't need paper. You can stay. <laughs> yeah, I'm all over it. Okay, so check this out. I, uh, I found out this really cool little fact. Uh, one of my favorite movies, this is Spinal Tap. You a fan? I haven't seen it. Oh, is that what? Bad? Is it a horror? No, it's not, so you wouldn't have seen it. But it is worth a watch. So this is Spinal Tap. On IMDb, it's the only movie ever to be rated um, in a system out of 11. Oh, wow. Why is that? Because it's so good? (laughs) Well, because in the movie, it's about a band that's touring and um, one of them has an amp that you can actually turn up to 11 Uh, because they're so uh, rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Wasn't even close. That's cool. That's cool. Maybe, maybe one day when there's That's a baby show movie, we'll... Remember when we had lunch the other day and, and, I was, and you gave me all the homework, all the horror movies yeah. that I have to watch? I did watch a few. I have watched a few. You and watched I went, Hereditary? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes, and we talked about that on the pod a couple of weeks ago, which I absolutely loved. And I went back and I watched the old version of Poltergeist as well. Um, and I think I need to watch Poltergeist 2, apparently, because we talked about that one as well. There's a few others. And I'm, I'm going to watch Overlord next, I think. Yeah, that was a really good. Yeah, yeah. Fun. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool. Do you want to hear my fact? Yes. Awesome. So I'm keeping it on theme. Um, mine is about Bella Lugosi. Cool. So he. Uh, we could do a whole show about him. I know. Like, so inter- <laughs> such an interesting person. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely see his face when I think of Dracula. So he um, played Dracula in the 1931 yep. film Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that he he was like a struggling actor and was told he was too ugly to play roles and all this sort of thing. And then he got the role of Dracula and he became super crazy famous. Yeah. Um, and he loved it so much that when he died, he was actually buried in his cape and full Dracula costume, which I think is like That's so cool. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. That's so, really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, now, so. Yeah, he's rad. Um, I always remember him from Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he played, like, this old man and his wife was vampire and she dies and he's kind of like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he then I think then he dies and then he comes back from the dead and it's all a bit creepy and he does the whole thing where he's, like, kind of coming out from behind his caper and, you know, yeah, that yep, kind yep, of yep. thing. Yeah, that movie is worth a watch. It's so I dumb. I've seen it a long time ago, though, and I think, like, uh, when I think of that, I just think vampire on her tiny little waist. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I think about. Um, but, yeah, I think the guy that's on the cover art isn't Bella Lugosi, and that's who I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, like this big wolf-head-looking dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, t- something Johnson. Oh, there you go, he is. T- Ted right. Tab Johnson or something yeah. like that? Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. All right. 
Cool fact. Shall we get into a story? Yeah, I'm excited. All right, cool. I think, story. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're going to like this one. My sources are Wikipedia, Dispatch.com, Rollingstone.com, Murderpedia, and VHND.com. Now, for those of you listening, diehard Fridgies will have already heard this one because when we were in lockdown, we did uh, live streams every Thursday night where we did stories and um, I wanted to tell this story again on the actual pod so it doesn't get lost in the ocean of Instagram. So today I'm going to be telling you about the Al Rosa Villa nightclub shooting do you know, are you familiar? No, I didn't. I didn't catch that last Otherwise, time, so. Otherwise known as the Dimebag Daryl shooting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now you know. Yes. So this incident takes place on Wednesday, December 8th, uh, back in 2004 in Columbus, Ohio. It's a really cold night. It's about four degrees, so chilly. And we're at a nightclub called Al Rosa Villa. And it's a... It's kind of, I, I think you would probably describe it as a dive bar, I guess. Like I looked it up on uh, Google um, Maps and it's kind of in a really weird place. Like it's not in the middle of the city or anything like that. It's kind of like down, like it, it's like near an industrial estate, like next to like a forest yeah. And there's some, there's like nothing on either side of it, but across the road is like this industrial estate. It's in a really weird kind of area. Yeah. You know, like Eddie's band room or something like that, yeah. like kind of almost like that. Um, so it's got like pool tables, like Eddie's band room and, um, you know, like a bar and, and, and it's a place where, where bands play. Um, and the club opened in 1974 and it's known for booking metal and rock bands. And um, they also used to book reggae shows as well. There are apparently, okay, on this night, there's apparently, it it depends on two different articles. I saw that there was 250 people in the club on this night. And another article said that there was 400 people in the club on this night. So either way, it was a lot. <laughs> it's a lot for, for a amount of people for a small club, like, yeah. you know, for a, for a small sort of local nightclub, it's a fair amount of people. I was actually this close to wearing my Pantera t-shirt today Oh, as well. how cool would that but have been? But then I thought I'll represent and wear Lost Boys, like vampires, but... You can't go wrong. You cannot so go close. wrong. That's so funny. It's <laughs> really weird. You probably know all about this story then. Um, yeah, um, yeah, a little bit. It'll be interesting. I, if... I know, like, the sadness of it, but, like, yeah. I haven't actually, like, listened to the... The whole story of what happened. So. It would be interesting if I can give you any insights as to like probably bits all of it. You... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one thing that I was super um, surprised at was that this gig was like crazy cheap. So it was like eight dollars a ticket, um, even though it was like there were a couple of like pretty famous metal musos playing. So the headliner that night was the band Damage Plan. And this band was founded by Vinnie Paul and Dimebag Daryl, the two brothers um, from Pantera. So anyone that's into metal would definitely, Pantera would be one of those ones, like, you know, one of the big headliners from the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, they wouldn't be charging $8 a ticket. <laughs> no, they wouldn't know. And they wouldn't be doing, like, shows for 250 people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Damage Plan was the new sort of side project. Well, I guess it was their new project because I think Pantera had broken up by that time. 
And uh, so these two brothers, Vinny, Vinny Paul and Dimebag Daryl, they're touring uh, their new album, which was called Newfound Power, and the tour was called Devastation Across the Nation. Awkward. So the thing about this kind of like middle of nowhere, little kind of venue, to me, it shows how humble these guys are, that they're they're happy to play small event venues rather than these massive stadium shows and festivals that they're used to playing back in sort of their Pantera days. And it's really grassroots. Like I find it, it's really cool that they're happy to just go back to the beginning, start from the bottom again and just build up this band. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is they're, they're not divas, these yeah. guys. Yeah. So let's go back in time a little bit. Who is Dimebag Daryl? So Daryl Lance Abbott was better known in his later years as Dimebag Daryl. Born in 1966 in Texas, he started playing guitar at age 12. And as a teenager in 1981, he, along with his brother Vinny, who played drums, they joined a band called Pantera, which I didn't know they were that old. Like, I didn't know Pantera had been around since flipping 81. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, back then, they were a glam metal band, <laughs> and they released their first album when Daryl was just 16. Yeah, it's crazy. It Have so you ever talented. heard that album? I haven't. No. Uh, uh, um, I wonder how readily available it is. Probably it is now, <laughs> after I mean, everything that's happened, but yeah. Maybe. I wonder what it sounds like. I have to go back, have a look. Probably less heavy if they were more like glam metal. Well, glam metal and they're like, you know, 15, 16 years old. Like, that's wow. Crazy, yeah. Yeah. So after a few lineup changes, they recruited lead singer Phil Anselmo and bass player Rex Brown, and their sound changed to the groove metal they would later be known for. In 1990, they released their first sort of big album, which was Cowboys from Hell, which I think is kind of one of the ones they're really known for. Yeah. And it started to make them a huge name in metal. In 1991, they played to approximately 500,000 people. And I had to look that up because I was like, am I reading that right? Um, Along with ACDC and Metallica, and that was at a show in Moscow, and it was a festival called Mon- Monsters in Moscow. Like, I don't even know how you fit that many people, like... In one place. In one place. Like, even if it's, like, an airport. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's a crazy amount of people. So, you know, these guys have, you know, they've come up, you real know... Real fast. Real fast, and they're doing really well. So the 90s were pretty massive for Pantera, and they developed a really strong following of really devoted fans. And I think you can attest to, like, if you know Pantera fans, they're... They tend to be quite yeah. involved. Oh, yeah. Lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And anyone who knows Pantera also knows that their lead singer, Phil Anselmo, is kind of um, – how would you describe him? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've put the word wild. He's kind of a wild guy. Um, he's very opinionated, isn't he? he was he, he was a lead singer of another, uh, another band as well. I think he – yeah, I think he also had his um, – sort of side projects happening as well at some point. But, yeah, he's very kind of in your face, I feel. Um, and he's known for having a really sort of big personality and um, he had an issue with drug use back in the 90s. Well, I mean, like, listening to, like, their songs, like, you know, Vulgar Display of Power and stuff like that, it's, like, lead singer of, like, a band. Yeah. I can see that for he's sure. He's not shy. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's he's going to tell people what he thinks. And they're not singing about puppies and rainbows no, either. So, yeah. they're not. <laughs> 
Maybe they did in 1981. <laughs> Maybe. That's that <laughs> album we were, we were talking about. Yeah. So he had um, chronic back pain and he ended up using heroin in an attempt to try to self-medicate. And he actually overdosed in July 1996 and he died for about four minutes. And he would get into fights with security guards and he was just kind of difficult to work with. And, um, yeah, and he had these side projects that he wanted to work on rather than working on Pantera. So I guess there was kind of a little bit of tension, um, you know, with the band members sort of all going in kind of different directions. Especially when, you know, the lead of the band has an attitude like that. Yeah, but I mean, look, leaders in bands often do, though, don't they? It kind of is, it's a package deal. That ego, yeah. (laughs) So without going into too much detail, the band officially broke up in 2003. And by that time, they had sold over 7 million copies of their albums, which is pretty crazy for, you know, for a metal band. Plus, they had four Grammy nominations for Best Metal Performance. And fans were devastated about the band breaking up, but Dimebag and his brother, Vinnie Paul, went ahead and they put together their new band, Damage Plan. They were on the second last show of their tour, and after Christmas, they were planning to hit the studio again to record more tracks. So let's go back to that night at the El Rosa Villa nightclub. The bands did their sound checks and everything was looking like it was going to be a pretty normal show. The players from Damage Plan asked the other bands to stay at the show so that they could hang out and the bands were super excited. Like, you know, that's a big deal. Yeah. Like, not only are you playing, like, supporting, you know, these musicians that you look up to, but they want to actually have a drink with you afterwards. That's pretty rad. So Dimebag thanked the owner for booking them and later they watched the other bands play from the side of the stage. So... Good yeah. good guys. Nice guy. Nice yeah. guys. So two local bands supported that night that night. One was called Volume Dealer and the other one was 12 Gauge. Outside in the car park, there was a tall, stocky guy who had been hanging around the venue for hours. Security security had asked him to move his car three times because it was blocking other people's cars. And a guy asked him um, why he's standing out in the cold because the bands have started. And um, this guy said, uh, I don't want to watch the local bands. I'm just there for a damage plan. So this guy, his name is Nathan Gale. And he wore jeans and a hockey hoodie. And he had thick glasses on, which his friends called birth control glasses. Because <laughs> I guess they were not very attractive. <laughs> I can picture them now. <laughs> But, you know, if you need to see, you need to see. But I've seen, like, Dharma glasses with, like, the little connector bit in the middle. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking kind of more, um, like, uh, what's her name? Gypsy Rose Blanchard oh, glasses. Okay. Yeah, like real thick. <laughs> real thick, like Coke bottle ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so who was Nathan Gale? He was born in 1979. And he struggled in school and he went to special ed classes for learning disabilities. However, he graduated from high school in 1998 and later trained as an electrician. So he worked out pretty well. Um, Unfortunately, he was not a popular guy and he seemed to be kind of known uh, as like a weirdo. Um, He lived in Marysville, which is about 25 minutes away from Columbus. And it's apparently a pretty working class factory kind of town. He came from a broken home and lived with his mother, who was a waitress. But after an altercation, she threw him out and and he began sleeping in parks. 
he had some minor run-ins with police and he would be the kind of guy that sort of went from job to job. He took labouring jobs like road cleaning or landscaping. One of his bosses said Gail wanted to learn boxing and he really wanted to play professional football. And he actually did play some semi, semi-pro semi football and he listened to Pantera to warm up before games, which I think is a pretty popular thing to do um, oh, yeah. for guys, you oh, know, if they play. Pantera pumps you up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Nathan got into partying and drinking and doing drugs with um, this group of guys. One guy called Ryan... Uh, who met Nathan at tech school said that Nathan did coke one night and he completely changed. He started uh, to rock back and forth like really fast um, for ages. And he said, I realized later that's how crazy people rock. Nathan started to become delusional. He began telling his friends that he wrote certain Pantera songs and that the band stole them from him. Uh, one of his friends said, I think he just listened to it so much. He didn't know they weren't his lyrics. He really thought he'd actually written them. So a lady who worked at the tattoo studio across from his apartment said that he stared at the clients and she would sometimes have to ask him to leave. So I don't know if like he would go there and like, I'm kind of envisioning Lisa Simpson staring through the window at Homer when he's watching cable and she's like, I'm not going to watch cable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are all red flags. Speaking of red flags, here's another one. Apparently people would see him petting imaginary dogs and staring at walls, talking to himself. I mean, the dog thing's kind of cute. It, if you're a <laughs> if, mime. If, if that was, yeah, you could have made a lot of money. If that was the only weird thing that he did. I think that's kind of cute. Uh, I don't know. Look. You, if I was going to have imaginary friends, they'd probably Sky is actually currently petting an imaginary dog next to the <laughs> desk. Um. Well, you can't see it? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, he also told a friend that God told him to kill Marilyn Manson. Well, I mean, that's also a touchy subject at the moment. Yeah, very um, – yeah, everyone's got an opinion. Um, <laughs> no one's surprised. No one, no. no one. Shocked. Did you ever read that book? Uh, was it Long Hard Road Out of Hell? A long time I ago. I read it a long time ago. I want to go I back and read it. Me too. And I was like, yeah. And I read the Motley Crue one as well. But yeah, that, that Marilyn Manson one, I was like, mm, I don't know if I would want to have too much to do with those guys. Bit bit too crazy. Bit too uh, demeaning. There was a lot of demeaning stuff. Again, I think it's like the ego of like, I'm the front man of a band no one's going to tell me, no one's going to like put me in my place. Like mm. it seems like everyone that's come out and spoken about it is like, oh yeah, he did that sort of stuff. But you know, no one, no one stepped up and said, Hey mate, that's not on. You're right. You're right. I remember in that book, wasn't there something like they'd get groupies backstage and they would like throw like stakes at them or something. Yeah. I'm vaguely remembering this and thinking. Most of that book, I was just like, oh, he has daddy issues, but I do recall. Yeah. Yeah. Just, gosh, Marilyn Manson. Okay, moving on. (laughs) One guy who knew Nathan said, I wish I could have said something to somebody saying that this guy could be dangerous, that this guy is not right. Um, All of us were Pantera fans, but he took it past being a fan. He took it to an obsession. When they broke up, I think he felt some kind of personal connection, like he felt 
left out or betrayed, said this guy. This guy's name is Mark Brake, and uh, he used to be friends with Nathan back in the day. He said this kid listens, listened to their albums every day. He was obsessed with Pantera. And I guess it's a thing that happens, like, you know, with kids, especially teenagers who are, you know, a little bit left out. They're not very popular. Maybe they're getting picked on. It's very common for them to um, latch on to something like a band or an actor or, or, you know, a YouTuber or whatever and sort of idolize them. Especially, like, alternative music, like, you know, like Pantera and and Marilyn Manson. Mm -hmm. Marilyn Manson's whole career has been... I'm a freak, you know. I'm, I'm an a outcast. black sheep. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. So of course, angsty teens not. are like, "Oh yeah, I relate to that." You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So in 2002, Nathan briefly joined the Marines, and his mother was apparently really proud. And she, um, as a reward, she bought him a gun. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's yeah, America. It's normal. Uh, However, he was discharged in late 2003 and he later told his boss it was because he was schizophrenic and uh, when his boss asked him, are you on meds to control it, he said that he was. After that, he moved back in with his mother and once again started to go from job to job. Um, On April the 5th in 2004, so this is about eight months before the incident, Gail went with friends to see Damage Plan play in Cincinnati. So it's not the first time he's seen this band. And he actually ran onto the stage during the performance and he was stopped by security before he got to any of the band members. Um, He would not get off the stage and as the guards were removing him, he pushed over a lighting rig. Damage Plan vocalist um, Patrick Lachman joked about the incident during the show and the band didn't press any charges. I guess like it could just be sort of put down to someone's been at the bar. Yeah. Someone's I've been excited about being punk metal gigs. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, People <laughs> if the get band's a- not trashing their own shit, it's like, you know, someone's Look, jumping up on stage and, you know, a lot of times like, you know, with a lot of like punk and metal gigs, like it's kind of at your own risk, isn't it? It's like, you know, sometimes shit's just going to go down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we're in clothes shows. Um, closed toed shoes. Closed shoes are a good idea. At metal metal gigs. <laughs> okay, so after he's run on stage in April, he got separated from his group of friends at the gig. But the next day, he told everyone um, he had actually become friends with the band, and he had found like some kind of magazine or or fanzine um, for younger listeners. Fanzines were like homemade, like tiny magazines. They were very, very cool back in like the 90s. Um, And inside this zine or magazine, he had found a hidden code. And the code told him that Pantera were going to play at their friend's graduation party. Yeah. (laughs) Narrowing her eyes. She's like, "Mm, okay. So let's go back to the Villa Rosa nightclub. Nathan is hanging out the back or the front. So he's still hanging around in the parking lot and he's pacing. And he's, uh, it's about 10, 15 PM. And he went over to the damage plan tour bus and asked their sound guy, Aaron, if the brothers were in there. And he says, no, nah, they're already inside the venue, which I guess they had been for ages because, you know, they'd done their sound check. They're watching the other bands, blah, 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 blah. 
So Nathan then goes over to sort of the side of the building and there's a high cement wall and um, then there's like a patio in inside it and he climbs over the high, this high cement wall and he enters the club through a side door. In his pockets are a 9mm Beretta semi-automatic, two clips and three extra bullets. Now, I believe this is the gun that his mother gave him. A security guard called Mitch Carpenter chases after him after he sees him go over this fence. And then another guard sees and also starts chasing him. They think he's just some guy that doesn't want to pay the cover charge and they're like, you know, hey, get back. As he's getting to the door, Damage Plan get on stage and they start their set. Just 90 seconds into their first song, Nathan walks onto the stage from the side and walks right up to Dimebag, who's playing guitar, and Dimebag doesn't even know that he's there. People just think this guy's going to stage dive. The stagehand this is a, a person called Aaron Halk, who happens to be a former Marine and Damage Plan's head of security along with another guy called Mayhem Thompson, come at him from both sides of the stage. And these are two really big dudes. But Nathan grabs Dimebag in a headlock and shoots three times into the back of his head and again into his hand. The bartender thinks a speaker is popped, so he just keeps pouring drinks. And I guess like... You know when you hear gunshots in a movie, I don't think it sounds like that in real life. No. And especially like a gig so loud and I'm assuming no one knew what was happening. Like yeah. Everyone else was probably still playing, crowd's still like, what's going on? Yeah. It would have been so loud in there. And have you ever heard, have you ever been in a gig and like one of the amps pops? Yeah. I think it would be really easy to accidentally mistake that for like a gunshot for just being an ant popping because yeah, it, it happens so often a million different things in yeah with 400 people like yeah totally yeah. totally um so Dimebag slumps down and all people can hear is feedback from his guitar after this the band's lead singer yells into the microphones call 911 somebody and an employee called emily lewis who's just 19 runs to call the police so literally in just a couple of seconds just it's gone from like confusion to panic. Yeah. Nathan shoots the head security guard, Jeff Mayhem Thompson, and also the stagehand who was the former Marine, Aaron Halk. And they're both killed. So they're the two guys that came from either side of the stage to try to try to stop him. Thompson, who is 40 is shot three times. And Aaron, who is 29 is shot six times. A bunch of people, um, so fans, security, the other bands rush the stage to either help the wounded or stop Nathan, which give you've got to give them props for, yeah. like, you know, helping out. Yeah, it takes balls. Yeah. Um, the fight slash altercation, because at this point it's kind of like there's a lot going on. It moves behind the speaker stack. So I guess you've kind of got this big ball of people kind of like all jostling and that kind of thing. It moves behind the speaker stack. Nathan shoots Damage, Damage Plan's tour manager, whose name is Chris Paluska, in the stomach. And he also shoots the drum tech, John Brooks, twice in the leg. But they both survive. Then Nathan drops his glasses. And this is a little bit odd. 
he drops his glasses and then he asks a member of 12 gauge to help him find them. Oh yeah, sure buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then he shoots him, but he misses. He's like, help me find my glasses. Yeah, sure. I'm going to help you find my glasses, like your glasses so that you can shoot me better. Um, a fan called Nathan Bray, who is 23 is administering CPR to Dimebag, who is still alive after being shot in the head three times. Nathan pulls a new clip out of his pocket and uh, he puts it in the gun and fan Nathan, not shooter Nathan, puts his hands up, like say, hey, stop, I'm not going to do anything. And shooter Nathan shoots fan Nathan in the chest and kills him. So Mindy Reese, who is another fan, she's a registered nurse and she steps in and continues to work on Dimebag. So, I mean, we're talking about really brave people here, um, you know, people that are really putting themselves in, in, in harm's way. And she works on Dimebag for about 15 minutes. Meanwhile, the police have arrived and Officer um, James Niggermeyer, who's 31, he moves towards Nathan, who has now taken drum tech John Brooks hostage, even though he's already been shot twice in the leg, so he's taking him hostage. He's pulling Brooks behind the speaker stack and he's trying to use him as a human shield. So Officer Niggermeyer has a Remington 870 12-gauge 12, 12 shotgun. And I looked up this truck. It, it's, this is a powerful weapon. This is like very American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when he gets a clear shot from 20 feet, he shoots Nathan in the head. And his head is literally like it like explodes like from this shotgun after um, he repeats to himself. um, This is the officer that shot him. He repeats to himself. I had to do it. I had to do it. I had to do it. And um, later he actually had to leave the police force because of PTSD. So in the aftermath aftermath of this, Nathan Gale's mother, Mary received death threats after the event. And she said she couldn't explain her son's actions. She said, nothing I say about him is going to erase what happened in the end in those few minutes. I'm sorry for what happened. I'm sorry for those people who were killed, but I lost a son too. So an autopsy on Gail's body showed no trace of drugs in his system, antipsychotic or otherwise. So he lied about being on meds for his schizophrenia. Dimebag's last words to his brother before they went on stage that night. This is really cute is Van Halen. So apparently what they would do is before a show, um, or it was kind of like, it was kind of like a way to say, let's party. They would say Van Halen, they would high five. <laughs> so Dimebag's partner, Rita and his brother, Vinny were deciding on which guitar to bury Dimebag with. And um, as they're sort of trying to make this decision, they get a call from Eddie Van Halen and he's like, hey, can I do anything to help? And they're like, listen, he loved your famous yellow guitar, the one with the black stripes on it. And could you get a copy made so that we can bury him with it? And, um, you know, so we could put it in the casket because it was his favorite guitar like of all time. So he's like, cool, 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 cool. So on the day of the funeral, Eddie Van Halen rocks up with the actual original guitar from 1979 that appeared on the back cover of his album. And he says, an original should have an original, which 
is so sweet. And he was also buried in a casket decorated with kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Um, El Rosa Villa was listed for sale in 2019 at over a million dollars. A 2020 article indicated it could be torn down to make way for apartments. So I don't know if what's happening with the nightclub at the moment. Um, it, to be honest, it will probably be torn down because it's kind of an old building. Um, some people have called the in- incident at El Rosa Villa the worst day in metal history. And... Um, Dimebag's brother, Vinnie Paul, went on to play music until his death in 2018 at age 54 from a heart-related illness, Um, and he was buried next to his brother, and he also had a kiss casket. Cute. So that is the story of the El Rosa Villa shooting. Wow, so many things. So many things. There's a lot that I didn't know. I think, like, um, whenever anyone famous dies, you know, that's, that's the headliner. So how many? So five deaths? Four or five people died and two people injured? So it was the stagehand, the security guard, the fan, dime bag. And the killer, I guess. And the killer. Yeah. Uh, and there was a few people that were injured as well. So I'm guessing it was four plus the killer, I think. Yeah. So I didn't yeah. realise that, that there was so many people. Like I knew that people were injured and things like that, but... Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and, so and like, you know, back in the day when we heard about this incident, like, you you know, it was just like, oh, crazy fan killed Dimebag Daryl. Mm. But you don't realise it was like this whole shooting, like a group shooting. People just kind of thought that he just went on stage, killed Dimebag, and that was the that end was it. of it. But, you know, other people died as well, and other people were shot too. So, um, yeah, uh, once again, I know we've spoken about this before, uh, namely with the Greyhound uh, bus shoot, uh, not shooting um, massacre as well, where, you know, we've got these people, they're in dire need of mental health help and people are falling through the cracks. Yeah, definitely. It's very sad. And last time I was here, we were talking about someone that was schizophrenic and taken off medicine and exactly Richard Chase the same last amount of people died. Here. So, exactly you know and I guess um you know if you have depression or anxiety and you know you might not think that medication will help you, you're still going to take it but if you have schizophrenic tendencies it's going to be a lot harder to talk yourself into taking your medication so I'm going to guess that's probably true because I mean if you've got a if you've got an illness that um sort of uh, distorts your sense of reality you're not going to think that you're sick yeah exactly or you know he, when he said I'm on medication he might have really believed that oh yeah I took yeah, my medication that's morning. true as well you know? but look he could have just taken a tic-tac and thought it was a flipping mm. anti-hysterical drug yeah yeah I mean yeah I I remember at the time my uncle was like an avid Dimebag fan. Like he was like the reason he started playing guitar and yeah, yeah um, he locked himself in his room for like a week. Like we really? Just didn't see him. He was fucking heartbroken. Wow. Um, so that's like, I guess like that's sort of like the main thing I remember. And I think that's probably also why like when you brought up the story, I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize so many other people were killed and injured because, yeah. you know, unfortunately when you're when it involves when famous, a famous person. Yeah, the other people sort of get swept to the side. but um, and, and it's very, very sad. But, um, you know, I think they they put themselves forward for someone who they idolised and loved and, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very sad. 
Yeah, super sad. But it's definitely a story that needs to be told. Um, I definitely, when I was researching it, found out stuff I had no idea about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah, the state of America at the moment, like, not much has changed, unfortunately. Like, here in Australia, I know if you go to a gig, like, you know, you go through the metal detectors and, um, you know, like, security and you you sort of think, oh, it's a bit over the top, you know, not Mm -hmm. people carrying guns here, but... And you hear stories like that from, you know, over 20 20 years ago almost now. Yep. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I feel like I'm sort of ending the episode on like a real downer. I'm really sorry. I think you need like a a funny story. (laughs) I don't have any funny stories today. Tell us about what's coming up. I can tell you a funny story. Oh, cool. I I wasn't really planning on sharing this with all of the listeners, (laughs) but it was making me giggle before when you're telling me about that news story of the lady who got stabbed in back. I wasn't giggling because she was being stabbed. Um, But yeah, um, I recently uh, had five stitches in emergency last week. Um, What? I got stabbed. What? By myself um, because I'm an idiot. (laughs) And um, if that's not funny enough, um, uh, the area of which I got stabbed Cutting pumpkin, dropping the knife, awkwardly trying to catch it, is uh, on my vagina. So, oh my god! There's nothing more embarrassing than walking into emergency holding a towel. My husband's behind me laughing his head off, and you know, emergency was like chockers. We were there for four hours. Oh no! It was very embarrassing. That's horrible. Yeah, I mean, it's five funny. stitches. Yeah, I'll show you a picture afterwards because I know you're not squeamish. You'll yeah. So. I mean, that's, that's a little tragic. bit tragic. That's not tragic. It's hilarious. We've got, you know, it's like a funny story to, oh, to, to tell now. But so. kind of like, I'm kind of like only you though. I know. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's such a you thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, like it's, it was, it was very embarrassing that the little old lady nurse, you know, behind the clerk desk was like, can you show me? And I'm like, well, I can. Do you want to take me into another room or do you want me to just like. I was like, here's a picture of it on my phone. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're going to need stitches. My husband at the time was like, you can just put a Band-Aid on it. And I was like, I think it's going to need more than a Band-Aid. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. didn't hurt because it it was so sharp, the knife. Oh, really? Just Coles brand knife. Did the did it did it hurt like after you had the stitches and the the healing? You know, like when you get yeah. a paper cut, like it's a tiny cut, but it's real irritating. No, like I got a tetanus shot and that hurt. That hurt for like five days afterwards. Really? But, but the actual everything else was fine. So. I got a tetanus shot last time. Um, oh no, no, no! It was a while ago. When one of my rats bit me on the face. Rude. <laughs> I know. Rude. <laughs> Do you have anything coming up with uh, the Vampy show that you want to let people know about? Um, yeah. You got I'm, any calendars left? No, we've sold out of calendars. So that's, I mean, it's February. So I love my Vampy. One, like, I love you know. my Vampy calendar. I've got February at the moment. It's Nurse Ferratu. <laughs> it's uh, Vampy as as a sexy nurse, and she's got a, a sexy syringe, and it's very nice. It's in my office. Oh, that's cute. It's cool. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Um, yeah. So I mean, 2020 was like a massive write off for. A, you know, a heap of creative people. So we're hitting the ground running. We're yep. filming another episode on Monday. Oh, cool. Um, and we have a few things lined up um, again, finally. So Yeah, yeah. and we're going to collab at some point as we well. We are. I'm very which, excited. Yeah. We're going to talk to you about horror films and Yay. more creepy things. Yeah, and I know you and me, like, you know, we've, we we definitely want to talk about a lot of horror movies in, in in the future as well. Gemma's always like, have you seen this film? And I my eyes glaze over. I'm like, is it a horror? And she goes, no, no. Well, then 
probably not. No. So the thing is, and this is what I say about you and me: you're a movie person. I'm a film person. Yeah, I'm like, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not sophisticated. I'm the espresso you. and and you know beret person, and you're you're the popcorn and coke person. Oh yeah, diet coke. But you know what? That's cool though. Like, yeah. I think that's rad. Um, you know, it doesn't even matter as long as we're watching stuff and appreciating stuff and we can chat about it. Who cares? And like I, you know, um, gave you some movie homework to do and you gave me some movie homework to do. Freaking loved Hereditary, obsessed with it. Just can't, couldn't get over how good it was. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I've still got other ones on my list as well that I've got to get through. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for recommending that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, if you want to check out The Vampy Show, just uh, head to our YouTube channel, which is just The Vampy Show. And it's Vampy with an I at the end. Yeah, V-A-M-P-I. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the Aussie bogan slang of the vampire world. Yeah. Um, and it was a name that wasn't taken, so it's a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you can check it out. It's um, sex, horror, comedy, uh, mini sort of web series. So, yeah. yeah. It's really cute. It's cute. Yeah, and a bit gross. Yeah. Anyway, guys, I will see you again next week. I've got another co-host who is a person that's very close to my heart. She's actually from the UK, so you will meet her in just a few days' time. Until that time, don't forget to be creepy. But not a creep. You got it wrong. We have to do it again. Oh, no, what is it? Hang on, wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So until next time, be creepy. Don't be a creep. Did I say it wrong again? You didn't put a butt in it. Oh, hang on. Okay, okay. Third time looking. Okay, we're going to do it. <laughs> Till next time, be creepy. But don't be a creep. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Esther, come back. We need you. <laughs> <laughs>